Welcome back to Everything New York Giants. I'm your host, Adriana, also known as New York Giants Fangirl on Instagram and TikTok. And today I am welcomed with Giants beat writer, Art Stapleton, who you guys all know and love. Very excited to have him join us today. So welcome, Art. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Adriana. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. So one of the most common questions that I get asked is how did I become a Giants fan and how did I end up kind of starting this whole thing? So I'd like to ask you the same question. Um, I, I'm assuming that you grew up in New Jersey, but I'd love to hear more of your history, how you ended up being becoming a Giants fan. I know that you went to UMass. Um, I'm sure that was a, a great experience being around all of those Pats fans for four years. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I surprisingly, I know we didn't talk about this before. I, I didn't grow up a Giants fan in, in North Jersey. I grew up around Giants fans. But the best thing about it, I'd say, is taking over and starting covering the Giants. I actually married into a Giants family. So my wife is a huge Giants fan. My brother-in-law is a huge Giants fan. My nephews, my father-in-law goes all the way back with, with the Giants. So, uh, you know, it's kind of funny when you see the Giants. You know, I went to school in the, you know, I was in grammar school in North Jersey, like you said. And the Giants were the team, obviously, in 86 and then early, you know, early 90s. Uh, but you had a lot of Cowboys fans, 49ers fans. And, you know, I, I you know, I, it's one of those things where you don't have to grow up a team, you know, a fan of a team to truly right. embrace the story and the way the franchise is run. So I think I've gotten close to a lot of the stories within the Giants history to kind of know that, um, you know, I could see why people would think that I'm a fan. Uh, but. I grew up in the shadow of MetLife Stadium. I know what the Giants are all about. Uh, so from that perspective, and I'm reminded every time I come home uh, that, you know, the Giants are the team that, that everyone wants to be rooting for around here. Mm -hmm. I always joke around because I grew up in Ramsey and my, you know, North Jersey, I think for the most part when I was growing up was really split. You were either a Giants fan or a Jets fan and there were, you know, a handful of Cowboys fans and that was pretty much it. Um, and I always joke that like, thank God my grandpa was a Giants fan and we all ended up Giants fans because if we were Jets fans, it would have been a whole lot worse. Yeah. I, I grew up in Bergen County too. So I, I'm, I, you know, you're in those situations. I mean, it's kind of a weird scenario in terms of, you know, everybody likes to follow a front runner and how do you become a fan of a team? And is there such thing as a loyalty? You know, some, some people feel like you can, you can float and fall in love with different teams for different reasons. So, um, you know, it, it's just fun how things kind of pan out. And now, like you said, everybody thinks that because you cover a team, you're a fan of that team. But unfortunately, in sports journalism, you kind of have to look at it and say, if I cover the team, I can't really be a fan of them. Right. Uh, you know, it takes a lot to be as, you know, to be critical or look with a critical eye. But I think there's nuance involved, too. I mean, look, you're a fan, you're a lifelong fan, but I think you probably can look at the Giants with a critical eye and say what's good, what's bad. I think the idea of a fan has evolved over the years. Uh, you're not just, you know, running out there and saying, oh, everything is good and I don't want to talk about the bad. Well, for the Giants, unfortunately, within the last 10 years, you've seen a lot of bad. So you, if you're not critical, uh, I think people will look at you and say, really? That, you think 
you know, four and 12 is good. You know, I, I think that at that point you, you get to, to a certain level where uh, you have to embrace the good with the bad. Definitely. I mean, that's how I ended up starting this whole thing. I moved to Connecticut about two, two and a half years ago. And it was, you know, in the height of the Joe Judge era. And I just, I was new to the area. I didn't know anyone. And I kind of figured with a lot of people still being home a little bit, that social media was a great way to meet people. And, you know, I've always been a big Giants fan. So I was like, I, I need people to talk to about this because it's such a disaster. And I'm just in my house screaming at my TV alone. Like I need people to commiserate this with me because it's so, it's so awful. Um, but I do think that that Giants fans for the most part are able to, be critical when necessary and then be optimistic too when when the feeling is good. I mean, there are also fans who after last season, you know, Jones got a lot of criticism. He didn't deserve the deal, overpaid, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think it's always, it's always interesting to see the different sides of the fan base and what everyone thinks and agrees with or disagrees with. Um, but I want to talk about your career a little bit. So how did you end up, you know, if you weren't a diehard Giants fan, which I assume a lot of beat writers, that's one of the reasons why they got into it is they have this passion for the team and want to talk about them. And I know that's that's one of the reasons why Patty Trina got into it. And same thing with Chris Vizignano. So for you, it sounds like you might have a little bit of a different story of how you got into covering the team. Well, uh, you know, I, I covered, like I said, I, I, uh, I work for the for the Bergen record, which I growing up in Ramsey, you know, the record. Mm -hmm. uh, and I worked there. I mean, that was my hometown paper. It was delivered to my driveway. My, my dad still has it delivered May, You know, he's one of the, you know, the old schoolers who still gets the print edition delivered to his house, uh, to my parents' house where I grew up. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to be a sports writer when I was in college at UMass. Uh, I go back a little bit ways. Uh, I was there when John Calipari was the head coach. Uh, so we had four great years of the basketball team. So I always envisioned becoming a college basketball writer uh, at that time. I worked at the school paper, covered a bunch of different sports. Uh, and then when I graduated, I came back to New Jersey. We all know how this market is. Uh, and it was not easy to get a job. So I ended up working part-time covering high schools in, in central Jersey. Yes. I believe central Jersey exists. It's not just, <laughs> I agree too. Um, and then my first full-time job was up here, uh, for the Herald news, which ultimately okay. was bought out by the record. Uh, and I covered high schools for a long time, uh, right up until 2009 when I joined our, uh, NFL team. And I just, I was passionate about everything that I covered. I love football, love baseball. Uh, I love basketball. Really, I covered everything, hockey. And the opportunity just came to really be a, a part of our coverage team in different sports. And I ended up doing this. And then uh, we had a long time Giants beat writer, Vinny Detrani, for, for the record for a long time. Uh, and he ended up retiring uh, someone took over him for a year, but I was the the columnist and kind of the, I want to say co-beat writer, because that would be the slight to who had the beat. Uh, but then we turned it over and they wanted me to become the full-time beat writer. So uh, I was really on it from 2009, uh, but 2011, the end of 2011 uh, is really when I took over. And uh, that's how I landed here and 
just the idea of covering a beat. And there's no, to me, there's no better beat to be on, to have a family. Uh, the travel is a lot less hectic than if you were going to be on a baseball, hockey, or basketball. Um, that wasn't necessarily a choice at the time, but uh, I just love football, fell into the Giants. And like we've talked about from the beginning, you're, you know, you're talking about a flagship franchise in this area and anywhere you go, you see someone wearing a Giants hat or a Giants shirt. And to be honest, you think of somebody, oh, I wonder if that person reads my my coverage. If that person follows me on Twitter, do they listen to my podcast? Uh, so um, that's kind of how I ended up becoming uh, one of the beat writers and kind of been diversifying ever since with everything that we, we have to do uh, on the beat. Yeah. And you have a lot of amazing coverage. And I know from a lot of people that I've spoken to a lot of other fans, they all love the work that you do. And I think as a beat writer, you know, it, it can be challenging and people probably either love or hate a lot of the things that, that come out from the writers specifically. But there's one article or one series that I want to talk about that you do. And I think you said it's the fifth year that you're doing it so far. And it's the annual top 12 most impactful players. Yeah. And I can imagine that this year is the first or maybe the second year in the last five years that it probably was difficult to choose 12, being that we finally have a lot of pretty good talent in here. So can you tell us a little bit of the history of how this started? And then when it comes to the players, what type of qualification skills, what goes into it from your mind that you're looking into choosing them for the upcoming season? Sure. Uh, to, to be honest, you know, we're always looking for new things to kind of catch, you know, people's eyes and wanting people to read it. And when we go back five years, it was not a good scenario for the Giants. Right. So you're looking to get people to read and everybody likes rankings. Everybody likes lists. Mm -hmm. And I didn't just want to put out rankings just for the sake of having rankings. Uh, so, uh, what we did is we try to come up. We didn't want to say the best players because sometimes that doesn't necessarily reflect uh, in a season. You know, Graham Gano, I think, is one of the top three kickers in the NFL right now. And I wouldn't necessarily say his impact is the same uh, as some of the guys that I have on the list. So what I go into is I, I kind of look at it and say, all right, if this guy was not on the team, what would happen? If this person raises their level uh, to what maybe some of the people inside the building believe that they can go from one year to the next, uh, what would that do to the unit that they represent? What would that do to the offensive line? How would that affect, uh, you know, the defense uh, and the run defense and where guys would fit? Uh, so I kind of go that route and, you know, it's not an exact science. That's, that's certainly the case last year I left Dexter Lawrence off the list and that you could probably make the argument that he was at least one B on the list for this team last year. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe you can make the argument, you know, with he and Daniel Jones and, and Saquon certainly in the first half with Saquon, but across the board. Uh, so I'm, I'm not perfect. I'll make the list and uh, then hopefully it causes some discussion, but uh, I think it's uh I think it's a fun thing to kind of talk impact, you know, where would this team be without this player, uh, especially if this player does well or if this player does not do well. 
And I think that's also a part of it. If this player does not meet expectations, how will that impact this team? And I think the last couple of years, Daniel Jones was number one on my list and his performance really impacted this team positively last year. And then negatively really the last two years, uh, two years prior, because he just wasn't healthy enough. He wasn't on the field. He got hurt and, and that affected the Giants too. So it's a fun list to put together. It's kind of a weird spot with two weeks to go before training camp, but uh, trying to push it out there. So I appreciate you uh, you taking notice. Yeah, of course. Is there anyone on that list that might surprise people? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, like, for example, Adoree Jackson's already come out. Uh, he was, I think I put him 10. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and uh, he's not the highest cornerback on the list. I'll give you, I have Deontay Banks higher than Adoree Jackson because I believe that if the Giants are going to take that next step in the secondary, we know what Adoree can give them. We also know what they look like when Adoree's not there. So that's a big impact. But I do think that Deontay Banks, if he comes in here this year uh, and surpasses expectations you know you look at what what sauce Gardner did with the jets last year what Tariq woolen did with with the seahawks if deontay banks all of a sudden has that kind of impact opposite of dory jackson in the secondary with xavier mckinney back i think that kind of raises the level of wink martindale's defense so um that would be a surprise for me that that's kind of where i'm looking as far as what guys can kind of impact this team uh, just out of the gate and where they take their game and how it would, how it would matter. Uh, I had Kadarius Tony third last year on that team, on this team. You know, he didn't, he didn't make, he barely made Halloween for this team and it did not have an impact, but it had a negative impact with this team because going into the season, we all thought that he was going to have, a major role on this offense. So those are the kind of guys that, you know, you put in these rankings and you try to figure out what they're going to be, uh, but you project something and then, you know, it was completely off. So um, that's kind of what I did with a couple of the guys on, on this list that are coming up is the idea that, you know, what can they be, you know, what, what can Kayvon Thibodeau be in year two, you know, can he be, the kind of player that kind of generates the attention that Dexter Lawrence did last year, because now if you have Dex and Kayvon, now you're talking a completely different defense because teams are going to start having to pick their poison rather than sending attention a certain way. So that's kind of a little insight in terms of what I, what I've looked for on that list. Okay. When we talk about impactful players and I was thinking about this last night because I, I almost forget that there were so many draft picks in 2022 and a lot of them contributed, but also a lot of them ended up with injuries and we didn't get to see the full scope of maybe what they would have been last season. So do you, based on last year's draft class, who do you think is going to take the biggest step forward and be the most impactful on this team next year, just out of those guys? That's great. Well, let, let's take the first rounders out of the mix, right? I mean, we know Kayvon and, and Evan Neal, um, Evan Neal, who's also on, on, you know, my list. Uh, he actually is number nine that came out today as we're, as we're talking. Um, you know, I think 
you know, there are question marks. Um, and I, I think it's tough to peg Wandell, right? Because we don't know uh, when he's going to be ready. Is he going to be ready out of the gates? If he's ever, when, if Wandell is healthy, he's going to be a big part of this offense. I don't think there's any question. I just can't say definitively he's going to be there. We, you know, week one. I mean, right. he had an ACL in December. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard to to predict that. So I'm going to say I, I'll give you I'll give you two guys. One. I know, and I believe you you spoke about him a little bit. I saw some of your Instagram videos. Uh, Dane Belton, I think, will get an opportunity this year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what role he is playing in the secondary because a lot last year he ended up playing a lot of center field. I don't know necessarily if that's where Dane fits. Um, you know, he obviously added his interceptions. I mean, he made plays when he was out there, but his clavicle was never 100%. So he's one that I think an opportunity is there, especially if Wink looks to play more sub packages. And the other player that I think, you know, look, we we, we loved him in, in August and then he tore his ACL is Darian Beavers. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I think of his versatility, he could play on the edge, he plays inside. Uh, I would love to see him even in a sub package format being the guy that's next to Bobby Okereke and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you almost transform your defense. You know, you can have Okereke play the linebacker and then have Beavers kind of do different things, rush the passer. Uh, You know, so if I had to say right now, the one guy I would talk about is Darian Beavers. But again, we're talking about his ACL from last summer. So, uh, there are some injury questions with that draft class from last year, but Beavers and Belton are probably the two guys that I'm, I'm most excited about. I think the other ones are kind of constant. You know what you're going to get from Kayvon, Evan, mm-hmm. Wandell if he's healthy. I think Daniel Bellinger will still have a big role on this team. Yeah. Uh, maybe not fantasy-wise, but I think Be- yeah. uh, Bellinger will be a very good um, player to complement Darren Waller at the position uh, better than most people would think, I, I believe, uh, going into year two. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And Beavers, you know, the linebacker battle is something that I'm definitely going to be focused on during camp. And we can talk more about that in a second. But I um, wanted to ask, do you have any expectations or any idea of what you'll think we'll get from guys like DJ Davidson and Marcus McKethan, who we really didn't see last year because of the injuries. And um, I believe Bobby Johnson said it looks like they they might be ready to go. So they, they should be healthy um, for them, but I guess we'll see. It's it's interesting. I mean, um, I think McKeithen will get an opportunity to be a, a reserve guy online and uh, maybe he surprises as – you know, a swing tackle possibility. Uh, maybe he can play inside. You know, maybe that pushes guys like uh, a Matt Parrott a lot closer to the bubble. Um, you know, what happens with Tyree Phillips? Uh, but I think from a Davidson perspective, you've got a loaded room right now. And the idea of we got to see what Sean Robinson's health looks like and Nacho obviously coming in. Um I don't know where Davidson fits. You know, Ryder Anderson is there. Uh, He had a surprisingly effective rookie year as an undrafted guy. Um, But, you know, look, they they like 
DJ Davidson enough last year. That was really a deep scouted pick. You know, it's not like DJ Davidson jumped off the page and people were talking about him at the combine or anything like that. Um, but if I had a guess, I would say McKeithen has a little bit better chance than Davidson to kind of factor in and kind of make some moves. I don't know if Davidson gets that opportunity right off the bat uh, to even challenge for a roster spot unless there, there are injuries to those guys up front because I think they looked at that defensive line last year and said we need to get better and more experienced behind Dexter and Leo. And I think they've done that. Let's see if it holds up, you know, starting in week one and, and how these guys carry through. But I think, you know, I think they still like Davidson and McKeithen, but it, it is almost like they're coming in as rookies again. Uh, and now this roster is a little bit deeper. So it's going to be a little harder for those guys to, to make the roster. Uh, we don't know what Joe Shane does with draft picks though. You know, we don't know if he's going to be, uh, leery to move beyond a draft pick from last year. You know what I mean? So you, you don't want to put a guy on waivers and have a chance to lose a draft pick that way. They did it in Buffalo a couple times, uh, and they ended up losing draft picks. Uh, Wyatt Teller in, in Cleveland, I believe, the offensive lineman, they let him go. Buffalo had him early on and let him go, and he goes on and he becomes a, a pro bowler and a stud offensive lineman. So, um It'll be interesting to see how that develops with those guys. And, you know, there's only so many spots and you're not going to sub out a Davidson for an Ashawn Robinson or, or a Nacho. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of competition in a lot of positions. So when we talk about training camp, you know, we talk about the linebackers briefly. Um, I, I think that the cornerback position is going to be competitive, maybe not so much for the starting opposite of Dory Jackson, but maybe for some of the guys, you know, that are going to be battling it out for the second spot. Um, and then, you know, wide receiver is going to be another big one that we have to watch out for. But another position too is left guard. And I think we haven't really seen a ton from Joshua Zudu, but Joe Shane speaks very highly of him. Do you think that we're going to see a rotation between him and Bredesen at left guard this year, or at least during camp, just to see what we have in him? Yeah, I don't think there's any question. We're going to see Zudu in that competition. Uh, I don't know if he wins that competition in week one, mm -hmm. but it would not surprise me to see Bredesen becoming their most valuable reserve offensive lineman and have Azudu win that job. The big thing for Azudu is pass protection. I mean, obviously he's coming back from the neck injury that kind of, you know, really cut his rookie year abruptly, and that was it. And it just kind of, you know, it was uncertainty the rest of the way. Was he going to get surgery? Was he not? That kind of thing. Uh, but I think ideally they're probably going to start the season with Bredesen at left guard mm -hmm. and John Michael Schmitz at center. Uh, but it would not surprise me to see Azudu get reps at left guard. Uh, he was very good in the run game in certain games that he played last year. Uh, obviously, small sample size. But mm -hmm. I do think that Azudu will have an opportunity to take that job. Uh, and then you want to have Bredesen fresh because he's your backup at center. You know, you need him in case of emergency with John Michael Schmitz. Uh, if Schmitz doesn't come along early on, I think they'll deal with the consequences and just, you know, ride it out. But uh, 
I don't think you you can lose a guy like Bredesen uh, if if you have an opportunity to kind of split those guys up. So I don't know necessarily a rotation, but I do think I do think Azudu will have an opportunity this year. Yeah, I'm excited to see more from him because, like you said, the few games that we saw out of him, he looked like he was pretty good, at least a decent start. Um, let's talk about wide receiver because there's 14 of them on the roster uh, right now. Obviously they're not all going to make it. Assuming that the giants keep six. Um, I I'm hearing that maybe there's a possibility that they keep seven, but I guess let's go based off of six right now. Wandale is likely going to start on pup. It seems like Shep might be ready to go week one. I think that's something that we'll probably all look out for in camp. But aside from we've got Paris Campbell, Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, and Jalen Hyatt, who are probably the set four right now. Yep. Who do you think is, is really battling it out for those last two spots? And do you have any predictions on who it's going to be? Well, I think if – if Sterling Shepard is healthy, he he's going to be on the team. Uh, I don't foresee an opportunity where uh, if Sterling Shepard is on the team, that Jamison Crowder will be on the team as well. I don't know if you want those two guys uh, both because I think one of them, you know, Crowder I think would have some appeal as a punt returner. He did a little bit in Buffalo last year and then hurt his ankle. Uh, so I think – I think if Shepard's healthy, Shep's going to be on the roster. I think too many people have moved beyond uh, what he could bring to the table and have started talking about how it's over. And I, I don't think so. I think Sterling Shepard, if he's healthy, is going to get another opportunity here uh, to show that he can be a part of this offense. Um, you know, the guy that, you know, Jeff Smith is somebody to watch. I mm-hmm. think. He's somebody to watch because of his special teams value. He's a very good special teams player. Uh, we know the Giants struggled at times last year finding guys on special teams, but it's hard for me to see Smith make the roster just solely as a, a special teamer. I mean, it depends on what happens in other spots. Um, so I think what you might see is you might see guys like Jameson Crowder uh, come back on the practice squad. You know, you have them on a practice squad. They're a veteran on the practice squad. Then you can call them up on a week-to-week basis if you need them. You know, Crowder may look at it and say, this is a great opportunity for me. I may not be in the slot right now, but they have one or two injuries, and all of a sudden I'm in this offense, and by week five I'm making plays here, you know, because of the uncertainty regarding Wandell and Shep. The other guy to watch this summer is Colin Johnson. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think – you know, he looked very good in the spring. He's coming back from the Achilles that he had uh, in the summer. And, you know, he brings a different body type to this offense. And I think uh, in the summer, we're going to see Colin Johnson and see how close he is back to where he was last summer when he really was making a push for a roster spot. Yeah. The difference with Colin, though, too, Adriana, is – Maybe they put him, get him through waivers and and put him on the practice squad and have him as a call-up as well. A lot of times we get caught up in waivers and the idea of, oh, this guy will never get through. This guy will never get through. When you're talking about guys like Colin Johnson, you know, he hasn't played in over two, you know, in a year and a half since he's been on the field. Yeah. There aren't going to be many teams in the beginning of the season who on that 
last round of cuts are going to claim Colin Johnson and mm-hmm. put him on their 53. I mean, that that's not going to happen. So yeah. I think those are really the guys to watch. We know the injured guys, but I think Colin Johnson is really the guy who can make things very interesting this summer if he plays well in the preseason uh, and, and where he fits in this offense. Yeah. A lot of Giants fans have a lot of faith and hope that Bryce Ford Wheaton has a shot at it. What do you think? I think maybe more likely a practice squad, if anything, but I think people are very optimistic that he's got a shot. We've seen this. We've seen this before, right? I mean, the the Marcus Suparis, the Corey Washington. The, you know, mm-hmm. we go on and on and on. Um, I, I do think that that you know Bryce Ford Wheaton is here for a reason. They liked his game. They liked his film. They want to give him an opportunity. Uh, but I find it hard to believe that the, that the Giants are going to allow him to beat out one of the guys that are kind of their mainstays. So it's very hard for me to see him make the 53. Now, could he be a developmental wide receiver uh, on the practice squad? Absolutely. I I think he could be on the practice squad. I think on the practice squad, depending on depth, you could see three or four wide receivers that are on the practice squad that the Giants still view as developmental players. Khalil Pimpleton, uh, Makai Polk, guys who were here last year, you know, we still are waiting or I am waiting to see Pimpleton as a returner in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Can he do it? Uh, So I think there might be a situation where this position, you know, you may be cheating a little bit to keep some of those guys on the practice squad, but I find it hard to believe that those guys are going to go elsewhere uh, in a claiming situation. I think it would really probably be beneficial for them to come back here because look, if you're part of this offense and you, you, you spent the entire summer here, Uh, you do have an opportunity uh, if guys get hurt. And let's be honest, the Giants have had guys get hurt over the last couple of years, and you would have never expected opportunities for guys like Isaiah Hodgins, who, you know, just point to Isaiah Hodgins and say, you want an opportunity? There's a guy who got an opportunity and took advantage of it. Uh, So I do think that uh, this will shake out, but you're definitely right. We're all going to be writing about the wide receivers every day. It's going to be this guy made a catch, this guy made a catch, because they're shying away from contact more and more. You're not going to see many run drills. It's going to be passing. It's going to be wide receivers versus the corners. You mentioned the corners before. I got just one spot. That slot spot is going to be very interesting. Is it Cordell Flott? Is it Darnay Holmes? You know, Darnay has that salary now hanging over him the way Darius Slayton did last year because of the performance. And uh, he got the bump in pay. He's up over $2 million as a salary cap hit. So Darnay is not only, he not only has to beat out Flot and maybe some of the other guys, he has to beat out the idea that, you know, he's worth that $2 million salary cap hit. Um, So that's a spot that I think we're going to be talking about a lot this summer. What do they do beyond uh, Jackson, uh, Dory and, Banks, who's there? Where does Nick McLeod fit in? Because I think he's a valuable player. Uh, Flott versus Holmes, I think, is a very big spot for this team uh, going into the summer. Yeah, another one that I'm excited to watch for. And Cordell Fly is another guy from that class that I really liked. I, he showed some flashes last year, and I hope that we'll see some more from him. So I just have two more um, quick questions. With what happened with Gerard Davis, do you think that there's any chance that the Giants bring in a veteran linebacker? I do. I do. I, I don't know. You know, it wouldn't be more than a minimum deal. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that they're all of a sudden going to start, you know, 
we got a we got a clear space because we have to bring in a veteran. Uh, but you know, I think Deion Jones was here. He worked out in the in the spring. Uh, you know, mate, he's the kind of guy that I could see fit Wink Martindale's defense. Uh, he played relatively well in Cleveland from what I gathered last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like he's beyond it. Uh, there have been conflicting reports, scouting reports on Miles Jack, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what he would bring to the table at this point. Do they look to last year? I think, you know, they weren't happy with the position last year. They, they kind of viewed, you know, Jalen Smith and Landon Collins and, and Tony Jefferson as kind of those stop gaps, the safety hybrids in addition to Jalen. Um, but I, I think coming out of the gates, if, if Beavers is healthy, I think Beavers and, and Micah McFadden, another draft pick, uh, is going to get – they're going to get an opportunity. Uh, and, and I think, you know, one of them or both of them may claim more opportunities and chances than maybe will be led to believe. And let's not forget, I tweeted this the other day. We're all calling Gerard Davis the starting inside linebacker. And the Giants don't want to play in the traditional 3-4, which would have two inside linebackers. Most likely – they may start that way in a game, but they the NFL is spent in sub packages with, you know, one linebacker and four safeties and three corners. And we saw Wink Martindale do that a lot last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of times we're looking at Bobby Okereke as the true inside linebacker. And then you have a safety, like I said, a, a Nick McLeod, a Jason Pinnock can play in the box. I think you'll see Xavier McKinney move up a lot. Uh, so that'll be interesting. So I think in base defense, the Jared Davis departure, or at least anticipated departure for a good part of the season, will affect the base defense. But I don't know how much the Giants are going to be in base defense. Uh, there will be times, but I, mm-hmm. I just think that he's not going to uh, – Wink is not going to look to that. They they want to mix things up. They want to get their best players on the field, their playmakers, and try to take advantage of teams, not just play you straight up uh, the way you know teams want to just attack you. Definitely. I think that's one of the things that we all love about Wink is that he loves to mix it up, so it's exciting to watch. Let's finish it out with we can't end this podcast without talking about Saquon Barkley. I think we all saw his tweet last night. Um, about the details that came out about the contract situation. So, you know, we all saw what happened with Jones. It came down to the wire with Monday, 4 p.m. being only a few days away. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's funny about that tweet, right? Everybody sees the tweet, and I think only a small percentage of people actually knew what he meant by putting the two caps there. So it it was no cap. It was no cap. If you put no cap, that means true, but he put caps up, so that means lies. So I'm glad everyone figured that out eventually, uh, yeah. that saying that it was a lie. Uh, I, I think it really comes down to the the numbers that, that Saquon has had a problem with mm-hmm. uh, that may or may not be true that have been put out there. Again, I haven't spoken to Saquon. I heard all his comments at his camp. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I wasn't able to be there. Uh, look, you mentioned the Daniel Jones thing on that Monday. I think if you talk to anyone at around 12 o'clock on that, on that deadline day for Daniel Jones, they probably would have thought he was getting the tag. Uh, and then it legitimately didn't come together until I think it was three 40 something at yeah. a four o'clock deadline. Um, I have a hard time seeing Saquon roll the dice 
on one year if the Giants raise the guarantees enough to cover him and give him financial security. Now, will the Giants do that? I don't know. Uh, I know they have all the leverage. I don't know how much Joe Shane wants to exert that. I do know that the Giants are better this season with Saquon than without. Mm -hmm. Uh, And do you want to welcome that on Tuesday of next week? You may be staring at another month plus without Saquon Barkley. I'm not sure. I don't know what the what the desire is for for Joe Shane in the front office to to do that. But I, I gotta say, I, I think the Giants will give a little. Mm-hmm. I think Saquon might have to give more. Uh, but I still, I still will be surprised if four o'clock comes and goes on Monday and he doesn't have a a long term deal. Now, is that a long term deal? Just a three year deal? I don't know what the numbers are going to look like, but that's kind of where I'm at right now is that, um, look, there's a lot of – if it gets personal and if Saquon or the Giants view this as personal, then we may be seeing the beginning stages of, you know, Saquon Barkley is elsewhere in 2024. I mean, that's certainly possible. The Giants could use this offseason to build their offense – in another direction and not bring Saquon back. But I do know that they want Saquon back. They want him at their price. I got to imagine that Saquon's going to look at it and say, it's not worth sitting out Mm -hmm. week one, week two and losing $600,000 a pop. It it doesn't, that doesn't compute with me. And I, I I understand Saquon wants respect. uh, And I do get the sense that there are people who believe that the giants are, disrespecting Saquon because they're treating him as just another running back, but no other running back is getting $10.1 million this year either. Unfortunately, the market is what the market is. Should Mm -hmm. the Giants overpay? I I don't think they should, but I do think there are people who believe they should, but a hundred percent. 359 Adriana. That's when, that's when we're going to know. Yeah. Or not, this is going. At, and I know it sounds like a cop out, but that's the reality. I mean, yeah. who is going to blink? Who will blink? I got to imagine that Saquon blinks first because he's the one who's at risk of losing money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, look, he's got a family. He wants to take care of his family. I understand he wants wants to be done right by. Uh, but, you know, the, the Giants can ride this thing out. Uh, would they be risking the idea that they don't have their full team? In week one, yeah. I mean, going into the Cowboys game, you want to have all hands on deck. It's only week one, but it's yeah. a significant week one. But that's kind of where I, I see it right now. I still think uh, when when it comes down to Monday, I got to think that the deadline looks at it and goes, all right, here's our best offer. Here's our best offer. What are we going to do here? And, and I find it hard to believe that, that they're going to want to walk away because this is a player that the franchise loves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do believe that Saquon wants to be here. Uh, yeah. But, but we'll see. Look, stranger things have happened. The Giants sent away Justin Tuck. You know, I'm old enough to remember and been on this beat. Justin Tuck went to Oakland and he had come back with a with an offer and wanted the Giants to match it. And the Giants said, We're we're gonna we're gonna move on. And Justin Tuck went to Oakland for a year. OCU Manure went to the Falcons after they won the Super Bowl in 2011. So guys, legends in this franchise in recent history have gone elsewhere. So sometimes these things go down right down to the wire. I think that's going to be another one here. 
Yeah, I think um, something that I said yesterday is is let's all not hold our breath because I do think that it's probably going to go until 3.59 on Monday. I did hear that there's a possibility that maybe Saquon changed agents. If that is true, then that potentially could speed up the process. But outside of that, I think we still will be waiting until Monday afternoon. I saw that same thing. Obviously, it was Chris Bizignano who kind of floated mm-hmm. that out there yesterday. At least that's where I saw it on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't heard that. I know Saquon has always been represented by somebody. Uh, Kim Mayali is his agent for contracts, but also he's always had a like a marketing agent uh, through CAA uh, that he has had on his team. So I don't know if if there's some confusion there, or I haven't talked to talked to Chris either. So I don't know what he meant or what he had heard. Uh, But if there is an agent change, it will have had to happen already because when you change agents, there's a five-day waiting period. So if he's changing agents today, well, then that agent can't uh, negotiate for him for for Monday. So that will have had to happen already if it happened. Uh, So I just haven't heard anything on that front, but I've heard the same thing, uh, saw the same thing from, from Chris last night. Yeah. So we'll see if we hear anything else about that. And in the meantime, we'll just be waiting around. Um, So we'll leave it at that. We'll wait to see what happens with Saquon. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm sure everyone follows you and listens to the podcast already, but tell them where they can find your articles, find you on Twitter, Instagram. I know you're on threads too. (laughs) Yeah. Where, where aren't I? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think, uh, yeah. Best place to find my coverage is at NorthJersey.com. Uh, buy a subscription. That's all I'll say. $1 for the remainder of the season. You're, you're from Bergen County. I know you're in Connecticut now, but you get all our coverage of Bergen County. So if you live in the area, it's certainly worth it. Uh, mm-hmm. My podcast all in with Art Stapleton is uh, on all anywhere you could find your podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, Omni, uh, anywhere you want Odyssey, I'll go down the line as you, I'm sure you do. People can find your podcast there as well, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I'll be doing some great stuff in training camp. We're, we're looking at having maybe a, a fan forum podcast at some point on awesome. site, whether it's at the giants or somewhere else, but, um, yeah, we'll keep it, uh, keep everybody updated. And, and on, on Twitter is at art underscore Stapleton, uh, same as threads, Instagram and, and what have you. So, 